05. The man awakens without an alarm. His sneakers are tightened left to right, every day, as it should be. A seven and a half mile run is chosen, his third favorite course. 0545. Run complete. Fifteen minutes of stretching is conducted in preparation for one hour of a comprehensive weightlifting regime, hitting every major muscle group and its stabilizers. 0645. Weightlifting complete. Another fifteen minutes of stretching, then half-hour swim in his pool. 0730. Swim complete. In his line of work, it is of the utmost importance to maintain the highest level of physical fitness. The power of repetition and continuity motivates him to complete his routine like clockwork, as it should be. Following his exercise routine, he showers and washes up in order to begin breakfast. 0815 Carefully measure protein shake, two meticulously prepared eggs, a spinach salad with six strawberries sliced from top to bottom. Finally, a fresh-cut grapefruit cut into four equal pieces sits on a separate plate. This is the most effective meal for the climate and time of year, carefully prepared by his hand. The mess of cooking is cleaned immediately after its creation. The disorder of the pan in his sink distracts him from the meal. The importance of timeliness and methodical approach to task is paramount in his profession. After his morning routine, he reads news around the world. The man never wants to be surprised by some local trouble in the area he is operating. He pays particular attention to the political stability of the countries he frequents the most. A tumultuous country can get you killed when you are on the job. A true professional gives credence to the most extreme of anomalies. He is never surprised, as it should be. By the time he has read the latest news and digested the information presented, he has begun to prepare an afternoon meal. The arrayed fruits and vegetables from the island are well nurtured and provide a healthy meal for the hitman. It provides him the necessary energy for the next portion of his day. The small armory in the basement is plain and white. The construction allows no sound to escape, and he finds his tools arrayed neatly. Each is polished and carefully placed on hooks and tables. Various high-powered rifles, explosives, and edge weapons sit to one side. Ropes of various length and thickness sit on the other side. Down the hall lays various targets and dummies. For two hours he goes through various shooting drills presenting each weapon and firing rounds at each target. He strives for perfection, always self-critiquing his form. After he finishes his training session, he returns to the house proper. He changes again into a well-fitted suit. The attire is formal enough to blend in, but not in such a way to stand out. He stands in the mirror to adjust his clothes for 30 minutes. Each detail is correct and purposely placed. In his suit, he exits the house and walks down the road to check for contracts. To receive a contract, the requests follow a very intricately laid out path, passing from one anonymous messenger to another, before finally ending up at his mail drop on the small island he calls home. 
It took years to perfect, but he is confident in its ability to inform him of the next contract. As he walks out of his home, he turns his shoulder to admire his home. Everything was just as it should be, orderly, properly maintained, and meticulously groomed. He loved his work, but it vexed him how his grass could get so out of check in the short time that he would be gone on a hit. He stopped mid-stride as he noticed something out of place in his garden. A single blade of grass stood in defiance of him amidst his perfectly kept vegetable garden. He strode over and placed a glove from his pocket over his left hand and reached down to pluck the grass from the ground. He then placed it and the glove into a plastic bag, sealed it, and placed it back into one of his pockets, and returned to his trip to the mail drop. He did not receive a request every day. He did not even receive one every week. This was just fine with him, seen as how they usually paid rather well, and he was able to sustain his desired lifestyle off of this funding. The man had been much more busy when he began his career, but eventually he had saved up enough to conduct jobs at his leisure. Today there was one envelope in the box. The address on the outside was handwritten. The envelope was heavier than it should have been. The man shook it to determine its contents. Was that coins jingling inside of the envelope? He opened the letter and emptied the contents into a gloved hand. Counting out the coins, there was $15.72 in loose change. Then, adding in the small bills, brought the total to $23.72. The letter inside was also handwritten. It continued on a few folded pieces of paper and looked to be written in a shaky hand. Was this some kind of joke? The man was furious, but he began to scan through the letter as he walked back to his home. Hi, my name is Claire. I am nine. I live in New York and I want you to kill a person, please. This person is my teacher, a math teacher. Her homework is stupid and dumb and stuff. I hate math, but it's worse. Her homework is stupid and hard. I mean, hard. Her name is Claire, too. But please don't kill me, too. I don't know how much it is to get someone killed, but I want you to, please. My mom also said she wants Claire to be killed. I heard her one night after crying. She doesn't like her. Probably because she makes me cry. But also, my dad hasn't come home. He has not come home since my mom cried. That was a few days ago. I think today is Monday. So it was last Monday, I think. I think dad had a trip. But mom started packing up his stuff after. I don't understand. Why do you need stuff after you leave? So mom said I want that Claire dead. Not me, though, remember? My teacher, Claire, she is taller than me, and my mom, I think. She is very pretty. She is not as old as my mom. Mom doesn't drop me off at school, too. She looks really tired. I don't know if she sleeps. We eat lots of mac and cheese. Mom cries sometimes and says she is sorry. But I love mac and cheese. It's my favorite, and I could eat it every day. So, I hope you can kill my teacher, Claire. It would make me and my mom very happy. And maybe my dad will come home after.
Sincerely, Little Claire. P.S. I'm not the big Claire. P.S. I found your address in my dad's stuff. It had a note. It said contract hits. I know that means killing people because movies. P.S. My name is Claire. The letter was infuriating for the man to read. His face had filled with anger at its simple wording and complicated message. But, as he read, a part of him remembered. He remembered a broken family, a scared child. Who helped him? No one. Who would help this young girl? Him. He wrapped the money back into the envelope, carefully closing it to ensure none of the change was lost. He moved back to his home to gather his gear. The flight to New York would be long. He opens the door onto the scene of his fresh kill. He hated how messy this job could get. Death was so disorganized. He looked out onto the scene. The remains of a romantic dinner sat in the room. Tall candles now burnt almost to stumps. A dinner prepared with hopes to impress sat growing cold. Miss Claire's dead body lay on the floor, a single clean and meticulously placed shot in her head. It had been easy to track the teacher down through her daily routine. Surprisingly organized, he had thought. The single shot had taken her directly in the forehead, the caliber not large enough to cause too much damage to the skull. He switches from his shooting gloves to his cleaning gloves, He slips the protective booties over his shoes and retrieves his cleaning supplies from his backpack. It takes him a while, but he revels in the work. As he sets about to cleaning the mess, restoring the room to the way it was before he arrived. As it should be. Once he is done, he sits down at the dinner table, looking around the room and admiring his handiwork. Everything was just where it should be. Nothing was out of place and there was no sign that he was ever there. Almost no sign, he reminded himself. He pulls the envelope out of his pocket and looks across the table at the man he has tied to the chair. The man is stricken with panic, looking at the hitman with fear in his eyes. The killer stares at him, the severe lack of emotion, chilling the bones of the bound man. Are you little Claire's father? he asks evenly. The sensation of talking to another human felt strange and dirty. His hits were usually so clean, he never needed to interact with other living humans, but this time, it was necessary. The man begins to nod in affirmation to the question. How disappointing. Honestly, that is not what I was hoping to hear. But, since that is the case... I have something I would like to read to you. With that, he unfolds the letter and begins to read. He finishes, folds the paper, and sets it on the table. Tears stream down the bound man's face. The man sobs the entire time, unable to focus on his surroundings. He does not see the flash of the knife between the tears. The killer stands and speaks to himself as he walks to the door, as it should be.
Claire was getting ready for school. She was bouncing around the house with the excitement only accomplished by young children. Her mother shouts at her as she dances through the kitchen. Sweetheart, please do not forget to brush your hair today. Okay, Mom, the little girl says with slight exasperation, skipping up the stairs. Her mother notices an envelope has been pushed underneath the door. No return address is posted. Only the words written neatly on the front. To Claire. Claire, you got a letter? The mother shakes the envelope, and the sound of a loose change jingles. Everything was as it should be. The end. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth ever episode of I'll Tell You a Tale. It's me, Nathan, and joining me, I have my two co-hosts. Hey, it's Alex, everybody. Hey, it's Ethan. And on this, the... It is fifth, right? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. It is. This the ever the fifth ever podcast episode that we have recorded. We are going to be telling another story. Um, at this point in time, speaking in without giving too much away about how our system has worked out, you guys should have heard our first episode, The Tempest, the second episode, Alien Awakening. Our third episode should be out. And hopefully you guys enjoyed this last, most recent special episode where we kind of just had a little fun and messed around for an hour. But today, I think we have something pretty exciting in store, hopefully, because that's what we're going to try and come up with by the end of this episode. Fix nuts. If it's not exciting, we're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Or something. But... I, so, I, Ethan had this pitch for, Ethan is kind of the driving story writer at the moment in this dynamic, and he has, he kind of pitched a few ideas to us, and we talked about them, and we were just kind of rambling before we started recording, and I think that if we want to kind of break down what this initial landing point is for this story, then we can kind of get into breaking it down and fleshing it out a little bit more. Yeah, so actually it was Alex who pitched the idea. I just kind of went really far into the right with it. Um, Alex, if you want to go ahead and break it down. Yeah, I'll I'll just kind of uh, read off the little prompt that I had pulled up, and then Ethan, you can kind of dwell into the... A little bit deeper that you got with it. Sure. Alright, so the prompt was... That... I mean, it doesn't have to be word for word. (laughs) You can... You know what it is. (laughs) Just say it. Okay, so... So the prompt was that there's a professional contract killer and he is checking his drop point one day and he has a letter there from a nine-year-old girl and there's $23.72 in small change and it's a contract from this child to kill someone. 
Yeah, so I took that idea and I wrote just a little bit because I don't, because that doesn't really have like a ending or middle. We don't know where it wants to go. So I drew out some details and, and um, I think that it's important to go over like the killer himself. Like, what is he doing? Where is he at? Like, what kind of assumptions can the reader make and what kind of assumptions do we want the reader to make? And so, like, the first idea that came to my head was, like, hey, it's essentially, it's like Jason Statham living on a old or new island all by himself and has, like, a complex drop system and he thinks it's, maybe he thinks it's a joke or maybe he initially thinks it's a joke and then is moved by the letter to fulfill the contract and so it wouldn't just be hey this is a letter from a nine-year-old girl telling this contract killer please come kill this person for me but actually we introduce the killer we go through the letter and so that's going to be weird putting ourselves into the brain of a nine-year-old and then and then actually writing the the hit job and I thought it would be an interesting concept because, I mean, if you think about a contract killer, you don't think about them being hired by children. But maybe, like, what led him to become a contract killer is the fact that when he was a kid, he wanted to kill someone really bad, and so he did, and then he started getting paid to kill people. So he could even grow to have, like, a bond with this girl. Sure. Um, I have an idea. I'm going to throw it out and we cannot use it. But we had talked in one of our episodes about kind of like the twist being important in this style of short narratives that we're working in. And I think it would be very interesting if, if we're already talking about going through like the job and everything. What if we start at the job and like he pulls out the letter at some point where like he's like about to like kill this person and then you're like you're like oh it's an assassin oh he's doing all this and then you're like oh he was hired by a little girl and like he like pulls out the letter like he like finishes the job and he reads the letter and then he like does his whatever series of tasks to like let the contractor know that the job has been completed yeah, I think that would be cool if he was kind of, if you kind of detail him going through the cleanup process after a successful hit, and then he sits down on the couch, pulls out this letter, and reads it one last time, and then burns it. Yeah, I think that makes a little bit more sense than him reading it right before he does a job. I mean, I have a vision of the letter being a little long, maybe like a stream of conscious, kind of like like a really fucked up way of writing to Santa. Yeah. Just sort of like that that nine year old, like she's I don't know what age we learned to write, but like like it is this like task where like she's just super enthralled with like she's like just learned about like, whoa, I can I can write letters to people and like they will get to read them and I can like talk to them and so she's like writing letters to everybody and then somehow she finds she gets access to this like 
killer and is like, wow, I'm going to write him a letter. And so it's just like that that and young, innocent... Like written in crayon and there's only like <laughs> three or four lines on the paper. So it's like a, a little thick series of papers because she wrote a lot, you know. Kind of like index cards. Yeah. Uh, I think that... <laughs> or construction paper. I think in my mind... She she probably's got like real paper. I, I guess I just don't remember when we started using like crayons and stuff. It was weird to think about. Yeah. But, but I don't know when we started to use that. But I feel like it was before nine. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. But I don't know. I do, maybe she's a late bloomer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. Do you think that we should write it with misspelled words? Because I played with that idea, and I don't know. One, I don't know if I can do it. I think I think that the balance would be finding... Because it's narrated, and I guess we have the transcript out. Little self-plug, guys. Check out ityatale.com. You guys can read our stories there. Um, it, it would be more apparent in the written version of it for this the podcast the people that are listening to it it'll be i think maybe the misspelling would have to we have to find like a lot of like homonyms or something like that i think it would be sufficient different enough i think it would be sufficient enough to just kind of say like when he opens the letter and is like pissed off that he's getting paid in like quarters and a golden dollar that looks like the two fairy gave it to her yeah and he's like holy shit like there's a lot of misspelled words on here and then like you, you don't have to actually have the misspelled words you just have to have him acknowledge that they're there okay for yeah. the audible transcript or for the spoken well, you could just do that even for the written, because if you just say something along the lines of the killer opened the letter and was just perplexed by all of the misspelled words, but as he read it, he started to understand why. What POV is this story in? Is it third person? I I prefer... I think it would be good to have the perspective of the killer. Yeah, but you can write it in third person and then just focus in. Limited. Yeah, and just focus in on the killer. I mean, how did I write it? I wrote it in first person. So, I mean, I'll keep writing it in first person if you would like, or I can change it to third person. I think third person limited would be an interesting way to do it because, in my mind, like the way that we've kind of discussed his house and his little area where he lives is like a super meticulous, you know, every day he lives by the same schedule. And so he's he's probably got a, a certain level of OCD, especially if he's like cleaning up murder scenes and like performing them and getting away with it. Yeah, I imagine um, like a clinically clean house on and so some waterfront. He could, he could be like, I have, I think it would be easier to show how frustrated he gets with maybe dealing with a messy kid or someone who doesn't know how to 
use their grammar properly in a written letter to request a hit or okay yeah i think we're in first person no he's a third person limited that makes sense yeah because then instead of i thought to myself are you freaking kidding me this is ridiculous you can change it too the, he stood there, he stood holding there, the letter, shaking a little shaking bit. Shaking as his face began to flush in anger. Yeah, no, I... Yeah, let's do it. Bam, done. Third person limited. Okay, so we've decided the point of view. Do we want to talk about his house more, or do we think that we're not going to be there that long? I don't know... How, so most of our stories so far have been sort of like single sets. Like the Tempest was like the shore and the boat and... And the marketplace. Yeah, that that's what I meant yeah, you by guys, shore. Like the, you guys jumped around pretty well. We, and in but, the last one, even though we were on the ship the whole time, we were in different rooms. Oh, the the one shot. Yeah, yeah. We were only on the ship. The alien awakening was only on it's the mostly ship. ship. The dagger. but there was chances where you were looking out, and so it was like. Yeah. I don't know. Well, but, and that that's what I'm saying is like we've we've sort of we're sort of writing stories based on things that we've never done before, and I think we haven't like. We, we've kind of forayed into it a little bit. Um, you guys can tell that this is a literature podcast because I just used the word forayed. Um, but we like we haven't really done that that much. So I think having his house would be a good way to like maybe maybe we can like write it as I forget what that guy. There's like an editor, a director, or somebody, and he's like very famous for like his like smash cuts. So if like that might be an interesting stylistic choice of like he like closes a door or something and then he's in the hotel like so it's almost like a seamless transition between like different set pieces and that way we can we can get to the uh from the house to the staging area to the actual thing to the cleanup quickly and efficiently yeah well do you want to start with the cleanup Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Well, I mean, we could. We could start with the cleanup and then think about and then, like, bring it back to the to the note. But I think what will happen is is that we will not talk about the house. And I think that we will leave that out, which is fine, because I don't know if yeah. the house is, like, defining of the character, but... But it doesn't allow you, or I don't think it will allow you to do what you talked about, Alex, where we draw out, like, hey, like, this guy's, like, meticulous and has, like, essentially OCD, probably not OCD, but, I mean, is very meticulous and particular about the way that he keeps stuff. And so it drives him insane to read this letter. And then you can break up the letter of him just, like, freaking out or whatever. And yeah. then, and then you can move to the, to the next stage where he's prepping for the hit, does the hit, does the cleanup, and then you can wrap it up with he starts writing his reply or something. 
So yeah, I I think that showing his house is really valuable just because like every English teacher that you've ever had, you know, they say in the story, well, they told you that the curtains are red. That means that he's an angry person, you know, just over symbolizing things. Sure. So I feel like if you see his house, it gives us an opportunity to over symbolize this character where we don't have to necessarily worry about exactly what he looks like. You know, I picture in my head the hitman from the video game, you know, bald, suit jacket. Yeah, yeah. That's why I picked um, Jason Statham, but, I mean, that's yeah. also Agent 47. Is that his name? Yeah. So if you just describe, like, where he lives, I feel like that could give us the ability to not describe him okay just describe his mannerisms and his environment that he creates for himself because that would then allow the reader or in this case the listener to kind of illustrate what he looks like okay so we'll start the house i think i think yeah, I think that's fine. Also, shout out all the English classes that are breaking down our um, stories. Um, secondly, what I was originally going to say before I got snide was the why? Why? Like, I don't understand why he's doing this. If the letter is frustrating and he is only getting paid like a little bit, like, is there like is this the how? close to reality are we going to pin this or is he just like like is it a raffle system where he like he just has to like he picks randomly from like a bowl of letters and then he has to do like the contract or like like what is his the like the i think the motivation for the the um the little girl is like spot on and perfect but like i don't know we're like talking about painting him as the character and all these things. I don't know why he would do this. Real, real quick. Let's talk about her motivations because we, I don't think we did, on the recording. Oh and then, and yeah. And then we can, and then I think Alex had some good ideas about his motivation. So let's talk about the little girl's motivation. So. I'll I'll just say what I wrote. I wrote, essentially, the little girl shares a name with her um, math teacher. I just picked math because I wanted to. And mm-hmm. um, and then I made some, like, subtle hints that there was an affair between the dad and the teacher. And then the dad's out of the picture, and the mom is sad and talking about how she wishes, or she overhears um, her mom talking about how she wishes the math teacher was dead or something along those lines. And so that is why she's looking for uh, a hitman. Yeah, I think, like, the, it's totally, I mean, what we have so far, and what you wrote so far, is, like, it. it is embodying that mindset of, like, she, she like she's I, I there's something that I think you said like she is bad and mean and I hate her she gives me homework and also I don't think my mom likes her either so like that justifies my opinion and 
I don't really understand what's going on here, but I hate her and she gives me homework. And also my mom doesn't like her. Please kill her. Yeah, she seems to upset my mom. I want to help her. I have no true concept of of death. And maybe if, like, like we're, we're living in this world of somehow this nine-year-old has access to hire a hitman. Like, we're, we sort of stray away from, like, the gritty reality a little bit, and we kind of, like, like, this is just, like, we don't even really need his motivations or anything. Like, like, this is just sort of this light-hearted death story. I think an, an interesting... I don't know how you could tie it in in a short way, but if you kind of explained his... So if he's a hitman, he's not going to have the letters requesting his hit mailed to his house. But if maybe he has a drop point, and then he has someone who collects all those letters and kind of pre-reads them and then chooses which ones to send to him but that person and him kind of have like an old acquaintance type relationship to where the person who sends him the letters sometimes sends him funny ones or like joking with him messing with him and since this guy is so meticulous and good at what he does if he gets this letter and it's kind of like the last straw and he just does it to spite whoever is sending like proofreading his letters or you could even do if maybe when he was younger he killed someone that he didn't like and he realized he was good at it so he started having people pay him to kill people and so it kind of is like reflective of his childhood or how he got into it so that's why he wants to do it because it reminds him of himself or yeah, I think that the twist is, I mean, I don't know if it's a twist, but the twist would be, the first one is that it's a child requesting the hit, and then the second twist is that you have a hitman who's supposed to be cold and calculating, showing empathy for someone's plight, and does something out of altruism rather than money. Because then you could you could write the ending of him bringing the money back to the little girl. Yeah. I can see where you guys are going. I, I like the idea of the third party sort of like cue to the James Bond I mean, he has to have a system in place because, I mean, typically there would be a drop point, you would think, that maybe he would go and, like, check it. But if he's such a good at what he does, you'd imagine that he has somebody check it for him. Yeah, but he wouldn't want somebody to read the contents. I think he would just check to make sure that it's not dangerous. And then, I mean, if, I don't know, we make it so that this kid isn't misspelling words, and then the reader assumes that she's smart, and somehow she gets access to the dark web. That's feasible as well. Yeah. Instead I mean, of, if you think about it, like kids nowadays can run an iPad better than I can. 
So I think it's completely feasible that if a kid really wanted to kill their math teacher, they could get on the dark web and find whatever. Yeah, I mean, it could have started with a simple search in any search engine and then taken a really terrible turn. Yeah, she was just kind of angry one night. Maybe she was rage quitting her homework and types into the search bar, you know, how to hire, how to have someone killed. And then she's like, oh shit, like this would actually work. And then like actually following through with all of it. Yeah. I think it's worth explaining it a little bit, but not overly explaining it because because then it'll just be us explaining this very complicated system of drops. And I think I kind of like waved my hand and was like, oh, there's a comp. I literally said like, there's a complicated system of runners and drops and that cuts all of the personal out of it, personal side out of it and keeps everyone anonymous in the process. And then I mentioned, oh, and he's on an island with no extradition. No government can come and get him because he's in, I don't know, international waters. Yeah, I like, I mean, it would definitely simplify it if we just kept everything as anonymous as possible and his, how he gets the letters from the writer to him. Yeah, it's kind of like what we ran into with the dagger, Nathan, kind of explaining what we needed to explain rather than explaining everything. To our second ever segment. It's a very short segment. It's just where I say the word iceberg. That was it. That was the entire segment. Oh. The like the, the lettuce iceberg. or what sunk the Titanic? No, like I, I think this is something that I'm pretty sure I've said in almost every episode. Like the, the, titan- the, the idea of the Alex. iceberg where like <laughs> the uh, um, you. It's like, not about what you say. It's about what you imply. Yeah. You don't see the entire iceberg gotcha yeah i mean these stories are so short you can't you can't be expected to go into a long detail because then it i mean distracts and detracts from what we're doing i think but it's good to think of and really like that's what makes a short story so interesting like when i read what you had written down real quick ethan I had got an entirely different take on it than what you did because you were trying to imply that the mother and the or the father and the math teacher were having an affair but the way that I read it was that the daughter had did something that made the father leave and the mother actually wanted to kill the child but that seemed really dark it it does does seem really dark um yeah and i think that confusion is just me making the the math teacher and the kid have the same name and that was just me going meh whatever but that would definitely add a a twist yeah yeah no it it would because then it's the the daughter trying to get the math teacher killed and then that could lead down a whole different road of I don't I don't even know. Or I think it would be interesting because you had said that the daughter and the math teacher's name is Claire and you spelled it C L A I R. But I think it would be interesting if 
they were spelled the same or they were they were the same name but they were spelled differently so like the girl is like i'm claire with an e and, and the math claire teacher is an m-a-r-c or something like that with a what <laughs> mark the effort template you guys <laughs> have forgotten about i've already solved this issue of the names we don't have to worry about names ever until the very end well, this isn't so much uh, debating about the names. I think this is kind of just because it's going to be, I mean, if you ever talk to kids mm-hmm. and they're very adamant, you know, I'm, I'm Claire with an I and she's Claire with an E, you know. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And so that would be in the letter, that would be, oh, but I forgot to tell you, my name's Claire, but with an E, and my teacher's name is Claire, but with an I, or something like that. Or, yeah. Nathan, for you, it could be Marquette and Marquette. Thank you. But one, I'm Marquette with two T's, yeah. and she's Marquette with one T. Does that, does that appease you? Yeah. I'm just saying, I really, the first ever shirt that we make is going to be a name tag, and it's going to say, Hi, my name's Mark. <laughs> yeah. And I will continue and to And then the women's like, edition should say Mark at. It's not going it, to... It's not... This, this, this through line is not going to be funny. It's not going to be entertaining for anyone except for me. And it, I, like, I'm, t- I'm telling you this right now. I will drive into the ground. This will be the end of the podcast. I will have Mark and Marquette. I swear to God. <laughs> or so help me, I'm finding another co-host. This is a small hill and I will die on it. <laughs> it's worth it. <laughs> okay, I, I will remember the Mark and Marquette. God dang it. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to say it. I'll, I, like, I edit the podcast. I will... Like, <laughs> Say say whatever you want. I'll fix I'll fix it in post. Don't even worry about it. That would be so strange. In the middle of our sentence, all of a sudden, you'll just hear Nathan's voice say "Mark," <laughs> and then go back to the normal voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll man. be that'll be the first T-shirt you design. Stupid. It'll be like those when you don't set up your voicemail all the way, and it's the robot voice. Hello, you have reached the voice mailbox of Alex Mark. Westoff. <laughs> Mark. <laughs> Please leave a message. <laughs> yeah. For Mark. Oh, man. Perfect. All right. I think that's enough banter for the podcast. Now we have to get back and be serious because we have a lot of... We have a single listener, and they are very intent on us being very professional so let's finish up this story we've got claire we've got claire we've got an assassin who maybe doesn't even need a name mark mark but let's actually name him mark but let's not tell anybody that his name's mark and they just need to listen to our other episodes and assume that it's applied that his name is Mark. yeah, yeah we'll, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm gonna edit this part out we'll call him m Agent M. Yeah. The name's M. Ark M. Yeah, I don't know where you're going with that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I said it wrong. All right. The name's Ark. M. Ark. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Stupid. Finger guns. <laughs> Finger guns galore. Yeah. All right. So, I think we're pretty much set that yeah. we hate the math teacher. Yes, we hate the math teacher. The dad's leaving. The mom is the sad. dad's leaving. The mom is sad. We don't know if it's because of an affair, though, or if it is actually the little girl's fault. Because I'm still open to that. I just don't want to kill a kid ever in a story or in real or life. Or in real life. Let me make that very explicit. But yeah, so, like... Shout out to the jury. Yeah. So are we doing... Is she the reason or is it the teacher? I, I'd say it's 100% the teacher. Okay. Yeah. 100%. Let's keep it... Let's keep it... Let's keep it light, or... Yeah, I mean, it's still contract killing, but it's lighter. Okay. And then, um... So we have... We're gonna break down his house and his daily routine. I mean, you could get into the weeds of that and just, like, really make this guy seem like he's got just, like, a control issue. And then he's gonna read the letter. It's gonna... We'll briefly summarize some complex convoluted process in order to receive letters um he'll read the letter he'll be annoyed with the letter but he will continue to read it and then whether it's born out of just feeling bad for the kid or some kind of sympathetic relationship with the kid or something along those lines he will fulfill the contract and so that gets us to where is this taking place Kuwait. No. Say like a... I'm out of ideas. Like a small town somewhere. Okay. In like, uh, Illinois. Oh, okay, okay. So, when, when I say where, is it happening at school? Is the... Is the killer gonna do it, like, after all the kids have gone and, like, has been studying this teacher's routine and catches her... In the school, or is it going to be at her home, or at the gym, or along and in an alleyway? Like, where do we want him to do this? I think it would be interesting. So we've we've hinted at the father having an affair with the math teacher, mm-hmm. um, but we haven't really like confirmed it or anything. So a way to kind of confirm it and say like, hey, this is why the mom doesn't like the math teacher is do it at the math teacher's house. And the dad's there. And and so he'll be doing, but we don't reveal that until the very, very, very end. And so you'll ha- you can have him cleaning up the kill, doing the cleaning, and then sitting down at her dinner table or whatever to start re- writing the reply letter and he looks across the table at her dad tied up to the chair. Yeah, yeah, I I really like that. Or, instead of just kind of like that terrifying, silent encounter, what if he reads the letter to her, to him? And that's why we're reading it. Yeah, I like that. Or, Or he could... He, we couldn't, we could hint even more. So you could say that he's just sitting down at the table and he reads the letter aloud. And then when he's finished, 
he looks across the table at the dad tied up. Yeah. Because at first I kind of had envisioned, you know, he killed the teacher after school when the kids had gone home and she was sitting at her desk in the classroom grading papers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the twist of the the affair, you know, he the dad wouldn't be there at the school. And if he was, you know, it wouldn't really imply an affair as much. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I really like that. Now, do we end it there? Or we leave it at like a cliffhanger with the end? Or do we just have an interaction with the kid afterwards? What if there's like a small, like, it's it's sort of like an after credit scene almost? Like, like we we pan to the dad tied up and then we cut to black and then we see that the child has or like the the mom is like getting the mail and she's like oh that's weird my daughter got a letter and she's like claire like you've got some mail and then that's the end and the letter jingles with a sound of loose change yep that's the that's the fucking end it's that's what it is I'm gonna write it right oh, now. Yeah. It's done. I'm writing it and, right now. And it would, with the dad scene, I feel like because you know he would read the letter aloud, look up, we acknowledge that the dad is there, and he just heard the letter, and then the hitman then begins to write his reply, dear Claire, you know, and then goes to black, and then, or maybe you don't even have to say that because. Of course, she's going to be getting the letter with the change, so you, it's kind of implied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very strong. Implying. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's change. Bam. I like it's it. It's not a gun. It doesn't make that noise. It can. <laughs> okay. Whew. Is yeah. This, is this it? Did we just do it? Is no, this... no, no, no. Because there's a couple more details, I think. Okay. Um, so since we went into so much detail describing our hitman, um, or not, we went into so many details and never described him. Should we do the same thing with the other three main characters? And by that, I mean, so we're going to have the three main characters be the kid, the hitman, and the math teacher. And then the dad and the mom are just kind of supporting supporting characters so they don't really matter as much but they're there i mean the only interaction we're going to have with the mom is when she says claire you have a letter and with the dad is when you look across the table at him yeah so should we go into the detail of maybe describing the girl and or her environment to kind of stick with the theme so we don't describe her but describe her room and then describe the room or the house of the math teacher. Because then we could stick with the theme of, you don't know what, the kid could have curly, long, crazy red hair, or she could have a black bob cut, or yeah, whatever, I, I you know. I don't think the reader gets to know what she looks like. I think the reader has to imagine that. Same with the math teacher. I think that the description of a beautiful, or I think the nine-year-old would be describing her she's a very pretty lady and then that's it and then because that's not what's important what's important is there's an affair 
there's a mm -hmm. small child who wants to fix and help something that's going wrong, and and so that letter is all the insight that we really need. Yeah, like that's yeah. it. So the only description you get of the math teacher is, even though she's really pretty, I don't like her. Yep, that's it. And and you don't get then we could kind of slightly describe her house yeah. when the hitman is cleaning it up. So maybe she's like a crazy cat lady, or no, no, she's she's a she's a pretty just lady. normal. She's a she's a pretty young girl because that's what causes affairs is older men or yeah, women and, who and so since the dad people. is at the house too we could go in and say like as the hitman is finishing his cleanup he's blowing out the scented candles throughout the room yeah yeah some implied or like, like the yeah. dinner table he yeah 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 i can see it it's it's forming in my head so we never, we, and so with the affair, we never have to straight up say that they're having an affair. No. But when we sit, when we're describing him cleaning the house, he's also cleaning up or just acknowledging the fact that there's like a romantic dinner, candlelit and wine glasses and the whole nine yards. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of goes into the, like the show, not show, don't tell. Yeah. And so the whole time, you know, we're acknowledging or not acknowledging the father in the room, but just describing that she was in the middle of a romantic encounter, yada, yada, yada. And then, boom, it was with the dad. Yeah, because I imagine the hitman finishes cleaning up, maybe he washes his hands. I don't know what he's doing. He tightens his gloves. He grabs the fork and starts and takes a bite or something. Or he wouldn't do that. He would just grab it with his glove. And he takes a bite. And then he looks across the table at the man tied up. And he says, are you Claire's father? And the man, tears streaming down his eyes, terror on his face, just nods up and down. And then, well, I have something to read for you. And then implied of reading the letter and then the hitman takes out the knife fade to black I like that I like that a lot I think it should be grapes okay grapes yeah he takes a grape and plucks it off of the bushel and pops it into his mouth yeah and then after he does that he pulls out his hand sanitizer yeah. <laughs> or whatever you know <laughs> no I, re I really do I think it's good I think I like it okay I'm excited to, to write this one. I was very excited when you first brought it up, Alex. And then as soon as I started diving into it, I was like, oh, man, this is really cool. And now that we've talked about it for a while, I'm uh, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you guys I feel free to add, like, like, write as much as you want on it. Because I think that we did that a lot with Alien Awakening. Yeah, and we did that, too, with the first episode where Nathan and I did the tempest um we actually both i was in the same boat that you are i was just amped and i was before we were even finished recording i had already written a written about a page and we both wrote the full story out and then we just kind of took it and smashed it together i'm all about that 
Um, yeah, I think that that about sums it up. I, I don't know if we need to extract any more in this forum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was there anything else that you really wanted to add, Nathan? No, I yeah, I think I think it's I think it's good. I I'm I too am excited to see this pan out. Um Yeah, I think it's good. I think we we just jump into the only actual segment that we have recommendations. Ooh. I'm ready. I mean, yeah, go for it. There's this is the this is anarchy. This that is what this podcast is. Okay. All right. So my recommendation is not fiction. It's a non-fiction book. Um, I was just thinking about humorous non-fiction, but also informative. I don't know why. That's what I was thinking of when I when we were talking about this. But that's what I was thinking of. And so it's a book called A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson. And Bill Bryson is um, Bill Bryson is traditionally like a travel writer. So I was I, I've read another one of his books, uh, The Private Home, a history of of the modern household. But he also writes books like he walked the the Appalachian Trail, um, and he wrote his experience in a humorous way, and, and it's very, very funny and very well written. And so his short history of nearly everything, I mean, the the title explains it. Like he tries to um, explain as much about everything that he can reasonably accomplish in a way of understanding that the that the layman can understand because and he writes about it in the beginning he talks about how growing up all the sciences were just baffling things and it felt like you had to crack the code to even begin to understand and he was like no like there's got to be a way for the normal person to understand what the hell these people are talking about and so he does that and he breaks it down in a very step-by-step easy to understand format and he starts from the beginning of science, which is the beginning of what science believes is the beginning of time, and then continues on throughout history as far as again. Huh. I'll have to check that one out. Yep. It is outstanding. So my recommendation is a series, and it is by... Uh, John Flanagan and it is called The Ranger's Apprentice and it's really it's kind of a cross because you could take it both ways as fiction or nonfiction because it has the it follows Will who's a King's Ranger um, an apprentice and it's kind of just this elite force of these people who wear these camouflage green cloaks and they have they're renowned for their supreme archery skill but then it follows him throughout his adventures and so it kind of hints at him being kind of in old England and there's samurais because they eventually go to a place where there's samurais and ninjas and then there's a point in time to where they're fighting with the Vikings and there's a point in time where they're fighting with people in kilts and so it's kind of implying and taking in parts of history that actually happened in facts 
but then it's also adding a twist in of the you know there's some mon- there's a monster in one of them and it's kind of it's definitely a good read yeah i think like a lot of like the the continent names are like or not continent but country names are like so close to like the real thing that it's like oh yeah like very clearly the i forget what the name of the country of the vikings is but like it's totally like scandinavia or something like that it's it's scandia so yeah (laughs) it it not so subtly hints that these are vikings in scandinavia this is what you should be picturing in your mind but i'm not going to say that because of copyright infringement with the history book or whatever. Yeah. It's definitely it's a good like read. Adapted. Yeah, I, I totally, yeah, those are good books. Um, the, what I'm going to recommend is a book series by a very good author, fantasy author, uh, Brandon Sanderson's The Stormlight Archive. Um, it's kind of the opposite of what we're doing because, like, all of his, all of his books in this Stormlight Archive are like very, very, very long, like just incredibly dense fantasy novels. But there's a character, um, sort of in, without giving too much away of the story. There's like these knights radiant, and they're like this old long forgotten order of people who are very good at fighting and they have like magic and stuff and there's a character um who is a little kid who um bonds with one of the the creatures that uh give the powers or whatever and i i forget if it's a boy or a girl or what what the deal is but um in the same way that claire is like i just hate this teacher like the the little i think it's been a long time since i read this but she or he is like only focused on getting food and like her spren the creature that gives her the power is like but you have like this calling that you need to be doing and she's like but i'm hungry and it's it's, yeah that one was actually that's from the spinoff that's not from the main series of the stormlight archive that one was she's, she's in uh she's in one of the interludes and then in the in this the short story they dive deeper into her. Yeah, he has. I wouldn't really call it a, a short story because if you listen to the auto, audiobook version, it's a six and a half hour. It's Edge Dancer, and it focuses just on her. Hmm. I'm I, I like. I yeah. I, I've listened to that one. I'm pretty sure that she is in the series. I, I think not until like she the is in the book, main one in the main series. Like it is a very brief cameo, but. I mean, shoot, recommend them both. Stormlight Archive and Edge Dancer. Um, those are my recommendations. And that's one, two, three recommendations. Uh, I guess we continue to wrap up the show with the plugs. I've already mentioned we have a website. Please go to our website. Check us out. Uh, the domain name for that is www.ityatail.com. Tweet at us on Twitter, at ITYATail on Twitter. Uh, email us at ITYATailGmail.com. Check out our, if you guys are listening, if anyone is listening to this, like, shoot us an email or something. Shoot us a tweet. 
uh, we will be thoroughly enjoyed and nam it, 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 it'll make us smile and uh, we'll tweet back at you we'll email back we can chat show us send us stories if you guys want us to read your stories not on air maybe or maybe at some point we do but go ahead and uh, use one of those three sites uh, check us out uh, we would do we have more than just this the podcast um, and and definitely if you, you have like a short story prompt that you're you know maybe if you have a short story prompt that you want someone to explore or if you're writing a story and you're stuck and you just need someone to help you with an idea or don't hit us up to come up with a name anything other than naming unless you want us to name your character mark we will do that or mark i feel it. like we've gone on a journey and i have implanted the idea that this is indeed a funny joke and that we need more segments and that's all that i really like this podcast has been a successful enterprise for me because now yes we need segments and we need mark forever that's all from me unless you guys have anything else we want to plug no i'm good nope also if you guys listen to that music and want to hear the full song you enjoy it you want to hear more it is on youtube uh look up uh we'll actually probably link to it on the website check out uh flux on youtube by fashionably absent well then thanks for listening hope you enjoyed it the first time prepare to listen again because that's the format that we've been doing i've been nathan and i'm alex and i'm ethan and we don't have a tagline that we end the show on thank you for listening boom Zero five. The man awakens without an alarm. His sneakers are tightened left to right, every day, as it should be. A seven and a half mile run is chosen, his third favorite course. Zero five forty five. Run complete. Fifteen minutes of stretching is conducted in preparation for one hour of a comprehensive weightlifting regime, hitting every major muscle group and its stabilizers. 0645, weightlifting complete, another 15 minutes of stretching, then half hour swim in his pool. 0730, swim complete. In his line of work, it is of the utmost importance to maintain the highest level of physical fitness. The power of repetition and continuity motivates him to complete his routine like clockwork, as it should be. Following his exercise routine, he showers and washes up in order to begin breakfast. 0815. Carefully measure protein shake, two meticulously prepared eggs, a spinach salad with six strawberries sliced from top to bottom. Finally, a fresh cut grapefruit cut into four equal pieces sits on a separate plate. This is the most effective meal for the climate and time of year carefully prepared by his hand.
the mess of cooking is cleaned immediately after its creation. The disorder of the pan in his sink distracts him from the meal. The importance of timeliness and methodical approach to tasks is paramount in his profession. After his morning routine, he reads news around the world. The man never wants to be surprised by some local trouble in the area he is operating. He pays particular attention to the political stability of the countries he frequents the most. A tumultuous country can get you killed when you are on the job. A true professional gives credence to the most extreme of anomalies. He is never surprised, as it should be. By the time he has read the latest news and digested the information presented, he has begun to prepare an afternoon meal. The arrayed fruits and vegetables from the island are well nurtured and provide a healthy meal for the hitman. It provides him the necessary energy for the next portion of his day. The small armory in the basement is plain and white. The construction allows no sound to escape, and he finds his tools arrayed neatly. Each is polished and carefully placed on hooks and tables. Various high-powered rifles, explosives, and edge weapons sit to one side. Ropes of various length and thickness sit on the other side. Down the hall lays various targets and dummies. For two hours he goes through various shooting drills presenting each weapon and firing rounds at each target. He strives for perfection, always self-critiquing his form. After he finishes his training session, he returns to the house proper. He changes again into a well-fitted suit. The attire is formal enough to blend in, but not in such a way to stand out. He stands in the mirror to adjust his clothes for 30 minutes. Each detail is correct and purposely placed. In his suit, he exits the house and walks down the road to check for contracts. To receive a contract, the requests follow a very intricately laid out path, passing from one anonymous messenger to another, before finally ending up at his mail drop on the small island he calls home. It took years to perfect, but he is confident in its ability to inform him of the next contract. As he walks out of his home, he turns his shoulder to admire his home. Everything was just as it should be, orderly, properly maintained, and meticulously groomed. He loved his work, but it vexed him how his grass could get so out of check in the short time that he would be gone on a hit. He stopped mid-stride as he noticed something out of place in his garden. A single blade of grass stood in defiance of him amidst his perfectly kept vegetable garden. He strode over and placed a glove from his pocket over his left hand and reached down to pluck the grass from the ground. He then placed it and the glove into a plastic bag, sealed it, and placed it back into one of his pockets and returned to his trip to the mail drop. He did not receive a request every day. He did not even receive one every week. This was just fine with him, seeing as how they usually paid rather well, and he was able to sustain his desired lifestyle off of this funding. The man had been much more busy when he began his career, but eventually he had saved up enough to conduct jobs at his leisure. Today there was one envelope in the box. The address on the outside was handwritten. The envelope was heavier than it should have been, 
The man shook it to determine its contents. Was that coins jingling inside of the envelope? He opened the letter and emptied the contents into a gloved hand. Counting out the coins, there was $15.72 in loose change. Then, adding in the small bills, brought the total to $23.72. The letter inside was also handwritten. It continued on a few folded pieces of paper and looked to be written in a shaky hand. Was this some kind of joke? The man was furious, but he began to scan through the letter as he walked back to his home. Hi, my name is Claire. I am nine. I live in New York, and I want you to kill a person, please. This person is my teacher, a math teacher. Her homework is stupid and dumb and stuff. I hate math, but it's worse. Her homework is stupid and hard. I mean, hard. Her name is Claire, too. But please don't kill me, too. I don't know how much it is to get someone killed, but I want you to, please. My mom also said she wants Claire to be killed. I hurt her one night after crying. She doesn't like her. Probably because she makes me cry. But also, my dad hasn't come home. He has not come home since my mom cried. That was a few days ago. I think today is Monday. So it was last Monday, I think. I think dad had a trip. But mom started packing up his stuff after. I don't understand. Why do you need stuff after you leave? So mom said I want that Claire dead. Not me though, remember? My teacher Claire. She is taller than me. And my mom, I think. She is very pretty. She is not as old as my mom. Mom doesn't drop me off at school too. She looks really tired. I don't know if she sleeps. We eat lots of mac and cheese. Mom cries sometimes and says she is sorry. But I love mac and cheese. It's my favorite, and I could eat it every day. So, I hope you can kill my teacher Claire. It would make me and my mom very happy, and maybe my dad will come home after. Sincerely, Little Claire. P.S. I'm not the big Claire. P.S. I found your address in my dad's stuff. It had a note. It said contract hits. I know that means killing people because movies. P.S. My name is Claire. The letter was infuriating for the man to read. His face had filled with anger at its simple wording and complicated message. But, as he read, a part of him remembered. He remembered a broken family, a scared child. Who helped him? No one. Who would help this young girl? Him. He wrapped the money back into the envelope carefully closing it to ensure none of the change was lost. He moved back to his home to gather his gear. The flight to New York would be long. He opens the door onto the scene of his fresh kill. He hated how messy this job could get. Death was so disorganized. He looked out onto the scene. The remains of a romantic dinner sat in the room. Tall candles now burnt almost to stumps. A dinner prepared with hopes to impress sat growing cold. Miss Claire's dead body lay on the floor, a single clean and meticulously placed shot in her head. 
It had been easy to track the teacher down through her daily routine. Surprisingly organized, he had thought. The single shot had taken her directly in the forehead, the caliber not large enough to cause too much damage to the skull. He switches from his shooting gloves to his cleaning gloves. He slips the protective booties over his shoes and retrieves his cleaning supplies from his backpack. It takes him a while, but he revels in the work. As he sets about to cleaning the mess, restoring the room to the way it was before he arrived. As it should be. Once he is done, he sits down at the dinner table, looking around the room and admiring his handiwork. Everything was just where it should be. Nothing was out of place, and there was no sign that he was ever there. Almost no sign, he reminded himself. He pulls the envelope out of his pocket and looks across the table at the man he has tied to the chair. The man is stricken with panic, looking at the hitman with fear in his eyes. The killer stares at him, the severe lack of emotion, chilling the bones of the bound man. Are you little Claire's father? He asks evenly. The sensation of talking to another human felt strange and dirty. His hits were usually so clean, he never needed to interact with other living humans. But this time, it was necessary. The man begins to nod in affirmation to the question. How disappointing. Honestly, that is not what I was hoping to hear. But, since that is the case, I have something I would like to read to you. With that, he unfolds the letter and begins to read. He finishes, folds the paper, and sets it on the table. Tears stream down the bound man's face. The man sobs the entire time, unable to focus on his surroundings. He does not see the flash of the knife between the tears. The killer stands and speaks to himself as he walks to the door. As it should be. Claire was getting ready for school. She was bouncing around the house with the excitement only accomplished by young children. Her mother shouts at her as she dances through the kitchen. Sweetheart, please do not forget to brush your hair today. Okay, Mom, the little girl says with slight exasperation, skipping up the stairs. Her mother notices an envelope has been pushed underneath the door. No return address is posted. Only the words written neatly on the front. To Claire. Claire, you got a letter? The mother shakes the envelope and the sound of a loose change jingles. Everything was as it should be. The End
make a change. 